0: Stephen King once wrote that there's nothing more terrifying than listen to three Scottish men talk about how much they love Resident Evil Three, and then proceed to rip it apart for the next forty minutes.
1: <laughs>
0: Welcome to Raccoon Podcast Department. This week we're talking about Alan Wake, uh, Remedy's horror action game from two thousand and ten. Um, recently, Alan Wake has been remastered and re-released on modern consoles, and so we're once again discussing horror, and we will be uh, trying to decide whether or not this classic game holds up ten years later, or uh, eleven as it is. I'm joined by uh, Johnny and Dave, um, as always. How are you both? Yeah, not bad. Dave?
2: Ah, getting there. Getting there. Busy week, but getting there.
0: Yeah. And uh, what have you, you know, both been up to playing Alan Wake?
1: Yeah, well, I don't. If I get started, I won't stop. So I'll just <laughs> say, I, I purchased a new television and I like it very much. And Alan Wake looked good on it when I played it last night.
2: Um, I played Alan Wake and I also played uh, Metroid Dread, which uh, I would like to talk about, but it's not like I mean it. It pertains. its has um, horror elements to it, but it's not a scary game. Maybe one. Maybe um, maybe later in the year we might do a special episode where we get to talk about games that we do like, um, that aren't horror games, but well, we'll we'll see what happens down the line. But yeah, I did also play Alan Wake, and that's mostly what I've been doing. So,
0: Okay, well, maybe before we get uh, started, I'll do a quick recap of the plot of Alan Wake. Yeah, so basically, Alan Wake is an author. He's a, you know, a, a best-selling author, sort of a la Stephen King in terms of his uh output, Um, he's not a horror writer, I think he's more of a thriller writer, and Alan has been suffering from writer's block just as he's about to start his new manuscript. Um, And since he's been struggling with this and he's ha- under a lot of stress, his wife Alice has arranged for them to visit the small town of Bright Falls, which is your sort of small American mountain town a la Twin Peaks, Um, which, in fact, this game... Lifts quite a few things from Twin Peaks, um, but anyway, so Alan and Alice travel to Bright Falls where they've rented a cabin, and uh, they go to a, a diner to pick up the keys from a man called Carl Stuckey who uh, which they find out he's, he's not at the diner, um, but they do meet an old woman who Alan um comes across in a very dark, dimly lit hallway. Uh, she's very spooky in in a way where. Um, they kind of hit your head with the spookiness. Hmm. She's, like, hidden by the darkness, wearing, like, a, a a dark veil over her face and stuff like that. Anyway, she gives him the keys and says, Carl can't be here, but he's, in, he's given me these keys to give to you. Uh, so Alan and Alice go up to uh, Cauldron Lake, where their cabin is. It's on an island. And um, they go into the uh, cabin where... Um, Alice reveals to Alan that she's brought his typewriter. Now, Alan doesn't like this because he's been under the the assumption that this was a holiday to get away from all the stresses of work and, and home life. Uh, And so they have an argument at which point Alice storms out the house. um, But once he storms out the house, the power goes off. Now what they've established before now is that Alice is very afraid of the dark. So when this happens, Alice screams and Alan runs back into the house to find that she's been taken away by uh, some otherworldly being or some ethereal thing, and it has dragged her down into the lake. So upon realizing this, Alan jumps into the lake and passes out. Um, What then happens is Alan regains consciousness sometime later. He finds himself at the side of the road, having crashed his car. And at this point, Alan decides that he should head into town and, and, and start sort of trying to work out what happened. Um, we soon realize that uh, some time has passed since the original incident at the cabin, about a week. Um, the town is being attacked by these sort of uh, corrupted people that are corrupted by some force that, that is is the, the darkness. And uh, from this point on, Alan has to try and, Figure out what's happening and get his wife back. Now, at this point, Alan receives a call from a kidnapper who claims to have taken Alice and wants to trade Alice for uh, the manuscript that Alan was due to write, um, which, as far as Alan knows, he hasn't written yet. But soon enough, you find that there are pages scattered around Bright Falls that uh, comprise this manuscript that Alan must have written at some point. And as he reads the pages that he finds, you realize that these pages soon come true. Um, now, there's quite a lot of stuff going on in this game, so we're not going to go into the, the the heavy detail of the story um, in this summary, but uh, basically from this point on, it's, it's about Alan trying to find Alice. Um, there's this force called the Darkness, and there's Alan's manuscript, which is coming to life. Um, and uh, as Alan sort of um progresses through bright falls he learns a lot about uh this force which um is basically taking fiction and and making it true um and there's a there's a lot more to sort of delve into um but it's very much one where it would be very difficult to sum it up succinctly here so if you do feel like you want to play this game or want to know more it's obviously there for you um but uh, and we can maybe talk a bit more about about the uh the story in the rest of the podcast but but for now, that's the premise is uh you're you're in this town, you're searching for your wife, and you're beset upon by a mysterious force that that corrupts people um so who who would like to sort of begin with their their first impressions
1: so I've got a false memory syndrome because i remember playing this on release but then i looked it up and the windows version did not come out uh, day and date with the 360 version so i did not play this on release i played this on my windows pc that i specifically bought a graphics card to play because i saw you know how remedy do those sort of tech showcases and demos and pre-release hype well, yeah. I bought all that hype and went, wow, this looks amazing. I think it was like an early physics game, maybe. Mm. And I was like, wow, it has physics. So I uh, bought the new graphics card, bought the game, played it with keyboard and mouse, which of course. later on, I maybe want to talk a little bit about how that might be the better way to play it. Um, And had a good time. Yeah, I remember having a pretty good time playing just the base game. So... Yeah, that's me.
2: Um, in terms of me, I've got a bit of a strange relationship with this game. Um, not to go into too much detail, but um if you have any um sort of learned history about consoles, you may probably both of you already know this, but for anybody listening, this was originally meant to be an early Xbox three sixty game, like around launch time. Uh they uh, it was part of the major marketing push. This um all points bulletin by um real time worlds when they still existed in Dundee um, Dead Rising Halo 3 and uh, I think a game called Three Days in Vegas which was like a sort of Grand Theft Auto type thing I don't know if you any of you remember that um, and this was meant to be an open world adventure game a la Silent Hill, it was meant to be an American kind of, um, sort of small town, like uncover a thrilling mystery or that kind of thing and the game went deadly quiet for years after that um, and resurfaced. I think it was E3 2009? Something like that. Um, for the 360, as a completely different game, much more akin to their previous game's Max Payne. Um, and I was really into the original form of the game when it was announced, and then I lost interest in it after I went quiet because I was too busy playing other games. Um, and then when it was re-announced, I never bothered with it. Um, many, many years later, I think it was two years ago, I played the PC version when, they, when Remedy reacquired the rights and released it with all the licensed music. And I played the first chapter then. And really enjoyed it. And then got distracted by something else. Um, and then I bought the remaster when it came out at the start of October. Uh, was it the start of September actually maybe? This year? Can't remember. Uh, bought that and uh, ploughed through it in a week. Um, so it's it's been an interesting experience where I've been aware of this game for a very, very long time. But I've never really properly experienced it. Um, so yeah, that's my sort of, sort of potted history with the game there.
0: The first time I played this game was on on release. Um, I've actually got a poster in my bedroom framed. Uh, from when it was released because um, a friend of ours used to work in a, a a video game retail store and it was on the wall. And this was sort of after obviously the the initial release window. And I I remember being like, "Can I can I have that Alan Wake poster?" I really enjoyed Alan Wake when it came out. Um, and then I actually played it not too long ago but before they announced the remaster so I kind of wish I'd held off a wee bit to to replay it cuz it'd have been nice to sort of try the remaster instead um but yeah it's probably one of my favorite free 60 games um i think there's a couple of games i'd maybe rank higher than it but not you know not too many um the uh the interesting thing about yeah, the, the sort of way they released it, um or the development of it was that uh and one of the things is like if you watch like there's an early trailer and it just looks so different to to what came out eventually. But um yeah, it's it's one of those ones I've only actually ever played through it twice. I played through it when it first came out and then I played through it very recently. Mm-hmm. Um but it's it's a game that sort of stay stays with you, if you like. Yeah. It's, it's not uh it's not forgettable in any way. It doesn't sort of there are games that I've really enjoyed played and and never really thought about again.
1: Yeah, I know what you mean. So like for me it was nine years, and yeah. I was like, Oh, he's gonna go Carl Stucky. <laughs> and I was like, he did it, and so that's nine years, hadn't played it. The whole time, yeah. and that whole bit just stuck in my mind perfectly.
0: I always go there when I want something special to eat. Yeah, there's a there's a few lines and a few characters. It's funny because I would say none of the characters in the game are particularly, uh, like their designs aren't that wild. You know, if you're trying to think about what what's so memorable about it, it, it isn't. You know some over-the-top character, but I think that's one of the the things that that is memorable about it, is because some of the characters feel quite, you know, or felt quite real at the time. Um, Yeah, definitely,
1: compared to Max Payne as well.
0: Yeah. Um, And obviously Remedy are quite good at having, you know, uh, Alan Wake's facial animations and stuff have have dated quite a bit, and they've updated it a wee bit with the remaster, Um, but at the time when it was released and, and sort of contemporary, I think the f- the f- the way the faces look and the way they sort of base them on real people mm-hmm. really helped make it feel grounded in a way that a lot of games didn't do it at the time. You can compare this to games from the same era for the
2: 360. Um, things like uh, Gears of War where the narrative is very much quite dramatic and very sort of masculine and all that kind of thing. Whereas Alan Wake's a much more grounded experience. Like you obviously said, it's more realistic. It's 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 more about like people as people and it's yeah. also a very sort of honest and heartfelt um re-rendering of things like Twin Peaks or like Stephen King books. Like it, the like, obviously like uh for people that are big um Twin Peaks fans it's gonna ring really true to Twin Peaks. even like I've never properly watched Twin Peaks. Um Ooh. but even I know I know uh, but even me watching it I was like okay so Mr Scratch is Bob yeah um the lady of the light uh i can't remember her name now uh, she's log lady uh stuff like that um the fbi agent is obviously meant to be an evil like evil coop stuff like that you know uh the obvious stuff but then the other the the big thing that really reminded me of was eh, the stephen king book like mm. uh the way that like um the one really big thing that sticks with me about it is um the, the way that the darkness like that's called the dark presence that's always in all caps um. Always reminds me of either it, as in like the thing it, um, which is always it and block capitals, or the deadlights, which is always capitalized. Um, it's always this. Stephen King has this really interesting way of like um having a really human sort of like almost like beyond human comprehension way like characterizing cosmological horror where um, it's like it's all we'll always call it the deadlights or the something where it's yeah. something that a human can process and that's what the dark presence comes across to me and the lake and all the stuff going on with Thomas Zane and Mr. Scratch and all that kind of thing that's really what comes across to me like that and that's that really felt very authentic and that's what kind of like really gripped me and that's what makes it stick in my mind because like as we'll probably get into the game is a bit of a flawed gem there's no getting around that it's got issues no, it's, 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 got it's, like, it's so, an
0: absolute gem no flaws <laughs> and I'm not even joking I think Alan Wake is one of the greatest games ever <laughs> like,
1: well before I have to get in as referee in the middle as a official Stephen King appreciator I have to agree that like it wears that influence on its sleeve I mean obviously Sam Lake put that in the first line of the game yeah. but just having that sort of cast of characters that are quite down to earth like you've got the the girl that works at the cafe you've got barry who could definitely be a sort of secondary character in a king novel the annoying publicist who deep down is brave and good even though he's really abrasive to everyone around him like uh and also the sheriff who's sort of smart and tolerates the people around her because she wants to Look after a community and all that. It's
0: like, and she, and she knows them all. She's like, these are yeah. these are my people, and I know them. But in addition to that as well, this the sort of Stephen King cast of characters, bringing it back to the the heavy Twin Peaks influence. There's also that sort of it has that sort of thing where it's got like the mundane. You've got the diner, you've got the sort of the sheriff, you know everything that would regularly be in a small town, and then you've got two ancient geriatric heavy metal rockers (laughs) who live on a ranch where they have a stage complete with pyrotechnics. Um, So it's wild where that sort of like, it feels so real and grounded. I mean, obviously when we say that, that's discounting all the supernatural stuff. In, in the game. But it's what helps sells that, is how real the rest of it feels. Yeah. And then you and Barry are fighting hundreds of darkness while pyrotechnics go off on a stage and heavy metal music plays. Um, which, hearing it for the first time on this podcast, you might think, that feels really incongruous, and it probably would take you out of the game. But actually by that point it kind of works in its own weird way and i think if you know remedy at all and their sort of sensibilities you might be able to accept that a bit more you've probably played the game but um that is the highlight of the game though yeah i mean it's it, it's frustrating so yeah when i say it's not a flawed gem sometimes i found that bit to be quite frustrating and there are other frustrations Um. And I am overcompensating to defend a game that I really (laughs) love. But um, it's, yeah, it's funny because there are characters that you can peg as like, that's a Stephen King character through and through. And like, I don't think there's anything, I mean, I don't think anybody here is saying that, but I don't think there's anything even wrong with that. The whole game was kind of marketed at the time as being a novel, you know, it's basically just like, you're going to play this game, it's going to be a Stephen King novel, and you're going to get to play it and it'll be great. And I think that's part of the reason why I wanted to play it, because at the time, um, and I think I've said this a few times on the podcast, and I think most people would agree that the 360 era of gaming was a a very weird one. It's kind of like the the bro era of gaming, where you had like... It was just...
1: Yeah, you're just getting your friends around, playing Eternal Sonata, (laughs) <laughs> yeah with okay. some 12 year old anime girls and drinking your stella and swearing at the screen
2: and i, I do agree with liam because it's it's this weird kind of uh, even even japanese developers were like oh well uh the like, 360 is selling very well so let's outsource all our games to western developers like and yeah. you get stuff like dmc you know what i mean that's you get, what happened yeah, in that,
0: that year you at get a, i mean resident evil sort of took a turn for the more action oriented you had um You know, we all know what happened to Silent Hill during this era. um, Where everything sort of went to all these these American studios and they made, I don't know, you have stuff as well, like, you know, this was peak Gears of War, this was like peak Call of Duty, this was, you know, Halo was, was great, but it was, you know, the sort of subculture around Halo. And not to say that there wasn't stuff out there, but I feel coming off the back of like PlayStation 1 and PlayStation 2, when there was so many sort of uh niche genres and titles and so many different experiences to be had in gaming to coming to the 360 and it's like the early 360 era we're not talking you know the connector era when it kind of got a bit weird again but it, it just felt like a a time in gaming where gaming almost had like a chip on its shoulder it didn't want to do all these these classic sort of genres and sort of wanted to games I don't didn't wanna be games yeah and uh There was a lot of, like, Brown and Bloom and just... I mean, there was weird stuff out there, but it all felt a bit more homogenized and uh, Americanized and westernized. And then you've got Remedy, who are like, it's not a game about, you know, no-holds-barred action and shooting and uh, whatever. It's We're going to draw from a, a sort of slower or more like you know um, it's funny there's there's other games that, that sort of feel like it I mean I guess I'm being quite down on the 360 era I was about to compare it to Deadly Premonition which is from the same era so um, it it has that sort of like I guess Deadly Premonition and uh, Alan Wake both draw heavily from Twin Peaks which is where that sort of feels the same but um, and in terms of feeling grounded you, you mentioned as well Dave that this game started off as a an open world game. Yeah. So th- their idea for the open world was that they would completely model or completely map out this small town and it also had like um like uh like complete like day and night cycles, like the proper know, open world yeah. experience. But they were found that as they were developing it th- the open world just didn't really suit the game, or they didn't really know what to do with it. Um, but instead of scrapping the open world completely, they actually made... So the game is fairly linear. Mm-hmm. Um, it's set out in an episodic structure. You play, you know, an episode start to finish, complete with uh, a recap, I think, every episode. Uh, yeah, yeah. Credits with music. And then you play through that episode, and and it's sort of a, uh, a contained Level almost, but stuff happens within it. But you don't do a lot of backtracking, at least not voluntarily. You can't choose to go back to areas. You can't choose differing approaches to the game or paths. It's fairly linear, and it's it's quite narrative-driven gameplay rather than uh, exploration or player-driven. If you know what mm-hmm. I mean. But what really works, I think, in in its favor is that instead of just designing a level to be a level they looked at this open world map and mapped out the levels within it, which gives the the world of the game this really sort of uh tangible, logical feeling to it. Like it all fits together and it all feels instead of feeling artificially like an illusion of a of a bigger place, when you're in uh you, you visit this mental hospital, which is on top of a mountain overlooking the lake. Instead of it looking out and being like, oh well, they've they've sort of made a backdrop that would represent where it is, it just is in that location within the world.
2: Yeah, and you see that whole spot like really early in the game, and it's it's no like a a picture; it is there,
0: which is yeah. really cool. And like obviously, you wouldn't want to set out and put all that um all the resources into doing that for a game that was maybe intended to be as linear from the beginning, but it. it this game had like issues in development but instead of coming out sort of the worst for it i feel like it really put that to to good use in the final product where the world it just really feels like a real american town right it feels like a real place and it just feels like it all fits together and and feels continuous i don't know i don't know how to describe it it's a very sort of small thing really in terms of like well sure none of it matters from a gameplay perspective and you wouldn't really notice if it wasn't like that but it it just adds something to the believability of the world and that really helps to sell it all
1: that's interesting because i didn't know about that sort of development background i guess yeah. at that time i wasn't as crazy into like pre-game research or whatever so i just played the game when it came out but like the other week when i was playing it i was doing a driving section. And I was like, this is really open. And I was like, yeah, mm-hmm. this could be like an open world game. And yeah. then I was like, but that wouldn't be conducive to sort of creating the right atmosphere. And I just sort of discounted it. And then when you mentioned that, I was like, oh, right. That's why it feels so open. That's why you can drive.
0: Yeah. I forgot about the driving section. That's really weird. And you can use your headlights. Oh, we haven't touched on the the way this game plays. Um, I don't know if we should do that in a moment, but you can use your headlights as a weapon against the darkness when you're in the car which is uh kind of funny i don't know it doesn't feel necessary but maybe they had something when it was a big open world maybe they were like well we need to have something for the the traveling around to make it feel um it
1: might even have been quests you need to run over five taken (laughs) because i was doing it i was like why am i running these guys over i can just leave them in the dust
2: yeah, I could, I could probably see them doing that, but I could also have seen them as soon as like you start implementing like quests like that, you're like, okay, we're now um, devaluing how scary these enemies are, and I could mm-hmm. be, I could see remedy being quite sort of conscious in that, especially in a game where, and, and the final product, the games, are, like, the enemies are actually a pretty big threat, especially in hard mode. Um, yeah, they can they can be a pain in the arse, so I can see them maybe that factoring into why they. Decided today what with the game what they eventually did.
1: So, see, I don't want to be too critical because I know Liam's a a big fan of this game, and I remember enjoying the combat when I played it in 2012 or whenever. But the combat for me didn't hold up as well um, as this time.
0: That's funny. Um, Because for me, I, I don't think that any other game has sort of hit upon. Something like to bring in a game that Remedy recently made. I I've never gotten into con, uh what's it called Control. Control. Yeah, I've tried several times and I just get bored. Do well, you like, know what
1: why that is, Liam? Because it's is, shit. Is it's because it's not called Kate Control?
0: Kate Control. <laughs> Kate Control and Alan Wake, <laughs> and Max Payne, um, and Max Payne. Yeah, and, they, um, they, and they John
2: it. John Quantum Break. Yeah, yeah. John
0: Quantum Break. <laughs> but
1: no, I see you I mean Control. Is kind of hard to get into I would agree with you so I'll quickly say what my feeling about why the combat its so at the start of the game it's yeah. great but then it doesn't sort of ever get better like once you hit a certain point that's it the combat's never gonna there's no expansion there's just gonna yeah. be an extra enemy or enemies yeah. are gonna like get to your back more and when they do that I don't feel good I'm just like Ugh, you're a hassle I'm gonna use a flare so it's like hmm. I was maybe a little bit I didn't hate it, it's just... I was like, Resident Evil 4 came out five years before this, and the combat in that is just... And Alan Wake shouldn't be as combat as Resident Evil 4, but just, I was like, these enemies have far too much shield, it shouldn't take so long to hold down this thing, because it's just a bit menial, but I do like the sort of light and attack kind of, it's a very interesting mechanic that still... It's quite unique. I haven't seen anything that's copied it or been influenced by it, really.
0: Yeah, so so that's one of the reasons why I really like the gameplay, is mm. because there's nothing like it. Like the combination of wear them down with your torch to then take them out with your pistol. So the the way the combat works in this game is, uh, Alan, Way Wait- the the darkness are basically uh, invulnerable. As long as they have the darkness, because that's their power. So, in order to sort of strip them of that, Alan is equipped with a pistol and a flashlight. And so, you aim at them with your flashlight and then you press a button to focus your beam on them, which will strip away the darkness. And then, and only then, can you take them out with your gun. Mm-hmm. And for me, that sort of loop it's just incredibly satisfying to to burn away the darkness and to and to get that sort of you feel really you know your your pistol feels powerful once you've done it like it doesn't feel like i mean a lot of games struggle and i think control struggles with this where bullets have an arbitrary amount of damage that they will inflict on something yeah whereas there's an actual reason for this and it feels very you know uh like it feels rational and logical it's like oh okay this isn't an arbitrary system this is how this works yeah and um i never particularly got tired of it you know um and i even you know you say you think it takes too long to to wear them down but for me part of that then becomes when you're fighting a few people it's how how do you sort of crowd control and how do you deal with them and stop them from getting at you before you can take them down yeah, so it's it's not so much that oh I need to be killing these people quicker, it's oh how do I, how do I manage this until they're vulnerable?
2: Yeah, that's no, that, that that's basically exactly what I was going to say. Like it, it adds this interesting sort of element, to enemy management, which you don't see in third, like you certainly didn't see it in third-person shooter games at the time. Like there was there was nothing else like this, and there isn't really new. And controls certainly not like this. Um, no. I, played control relatively recently and I was the same as julian I just kinda of go bored of it. I mean it's it's it looks nice and then the 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 SCP angle's interesting but it's not as in it's not as engaging in terms of narrative or in terms of like the core gameplay loop as this is. Um yeah. I will say that like um in terms of positives um the the idea of like managing enemies um where like something that wears them doing like it's almost like a like a wee laser you're pointing at them like and you're you're breaking their shield down, which is exactly what the, the lamp is or the, the flashlight is. You're wearing their shield doing with your wee laser and then your their, their shield goes away and then you can shoot them. Um the guns feel amazing in this game because you're you're waiting and waiting and waiting to be able to use them properly. Yeah. Um and even just the pistol like hits like a truck and it's it's so satisfying to be able to use them. Um so like I was I was very impressed with that. Um the only thing, like, the, my main issue with it is, it's something that touched that Johnny touched on, was that it's quite like okay, the, the game introduces all your stuff within the first like three quarters, of an year, mm. and that's that's kind of it, and it's, it's the, the same kind of enemy encounters over and over again after that, and they're not bad, except for the the assassin enemies that warp, they're bad, and the birds are bad, they're the bad birds. enemies, I don't like them, um, it's just. It, it, the the, rep- the that's where the repetition starts to wear in a bit like mm. that's I think that's kind of where I start feeling like alright I can kind of see where they've got to like it's almost like you can see the tide mark where they've realised during development we can't make this open world we need to we need to switch this and we need to streamline it it's almost like you can see that tide mark there and that's kind of what I feel like I'm seeing um but yeah it's mostly just repetition like the actual loop itself. I found quite satisfying, especially when you start getting like the handheld weapons, like the flashbangs. Flashbangs feel great. The hunt rifle's amazing. And then when you get like the super torches and stuff,
1: they're yeah. great.
2: It all feels nice, it's just that there's a lack of variety. That's my issue. Yeah, with it. that's
1: what I would think. Uh, if they had and I, obviously I'm taking this to Resident Evil, which is fine, We're like <laughs> but a Garador or a Regenerator yeah. or uh, in Village, you've got the, what they called? The Panzer dudes. Oh, the, the so if they added enemies that interacted with the light mechanic in a different way, yeah. so either they had like a helmet you had to shoot off, or they had a shield, or like this enemy has to be killed before this enemy, or something like that. I mm-hmm. just feel like I would have appreciated, and it's only because I'm playing it ten years later, that I would have appreciated like a little bit of stepping up the mechanics rather than just adding additional enemies. Yeah. Uh, I actually, because I feel guilty about having to criticise it slightly, I want to say something nice, which is how cool is it the first time you pick a manuscript page and read what's going to happen? Like, yeah. yeah. It's cool. just so cool. I mean, it could be... If it wasn't well written, it could come off as kind of cheesy. But to me, it didn't. Like I read it and it just gave me this sort of sense of anticipation. And I was like, so the first time, very first time, I was like, is this going to happen exactly as described? And then when it does, you're like, oh, these pages are telling you what's going to happen or they're telling you things that you don't know. So it'll tell you stuff about like Agent Nightingale is the sort of corrupted FBI agent. And although it's never explicitly stated, you think he's working for the dark presence, and it's stuff about his like alcoholism and how angry he is and how he's going to shoot you if he gets the chance. Before you have the cutscene where he points the gun at you, and I was like, this is really good. Like he's a writer; he's written this manuscript during a blackout, and it's coming true. And I was like, this is just a great element.
2: I was impressed with how they didn't feel like they were. Slavishly like Stephen King, but they were written in the spirit of a Stephen King novel. Do you get know what I mean? Yeah. Um, like when you get the, the 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 pages, I always look forward to, and it's the same way like um Stephen King novels are read. Like I always love when King starts writing about the supernatural element, um, because he, he describes it in this really interesting way where it, it like the supernatural element that he's talking about thinks or experiences things like a person does. Like all the stuff near the end of it, where you're, um, yeah, it's in its mind, and it's thinking about how it's afraid for the first time in its entire existence. It's, it's this is the first time it's ever been afraid, and it's been hurt and stuff like that. And there's a couple of pages with a dark presence, um, where it's it's in the dark presence's mind, and it's that kind of writing. And I thought that was really like it's never exactly like Stephen King, but you can tell exactly where the the influence has been drawn for um and that's like that all that was always what i was looking forward to with the with the um, manuscript stuff like it was, it was cool seeing stuff happen as you were picking the pages up like absolutely but it was those wee bits where like you were like oh they actually like one it's the exact kind of things i like for stephen king and two they know what they're doing um as i've said like i've i've I do. I've, there's no doubt I have issues with this game, but like where it gets stuff like right, it gets it really, really right. And the manuscript pages are a great example of that.
1: The thing I found with the manuscript as well is that. So I'm a a huge Max Payne fan. I've played a ton of that from when it came out, and that had a similar thing where it told the story through a comic because mm-hmm. it's sort of a pulpy, hard-boiled kind of story. And obviously, Sam Lake was writing that as well. And there's a sort of consistency, even though he's changed the tone, you can tell it's Sam Lake's writing. And I was Mm -hmm. like, yeah, this is good. Uh, It sort of feels quite consistent. And the other thing that's consistent in the world is that Alan Waite's protagonist for his first six books is Alex Casey, and it's clearly Max Payne. Yeah. (laughs) And the first. Yeah. The the first book or page you read is the end of Alex Casey read by James McCaffrey in Max Payne's voice (laughs) Uh, and he also comes back as Thomas Zane, the poet who has sort of succumbed to the dark presence and been in the same situation and is trying to help Alan out so it's quite good that they have the voice of Max Payne being your sort of guide I thought Mm. that was a nice touch
0: I like that it, um, like I said it sort of provides a a narrator to the game that mm. sidesteps the sort of cliche of just literally having it be narrated. You know what I mean? Like Blade, Blade Runner. And yeah. And then <laughs> well, it sort of, because it because it comes before everything that happens, so it's like pre narrated, it can prep you in ways for certain things. Things that maybe might not make sense to the player if it's just presented as is and you go, well, the, what the fuck's happening? But it can kind of clue you into things a wee bit before they happen. Or it'll yep. like say something and you go like Right, but what? And then it happens and it's like, oh, okay. And it sort of it really does play with the sort of idea of like not only is this stuff gonna come true, but you're no- you're gonna know about it before it happens.
2: There's a great example of that in the the part where you go to the mental hospital on the on the on the mountain. Um, where you get a page in the chapter before that about one of the, the, the heavy metal brothers hitting somebody with a hammer and you see them in the patient the inpatient room and he's got a squeaky hammer and you're like, oh, he doesn't kill anybody or he doesn't hurt anybody, he's just going to hit them with a squeaky hammer. And yeah. then in the next scene after that, he has actually hit somebody with a real hammer. It's like yeah. pl- toying with your expectation because you, you have no context for what's going to happen. All you've done is read the page. It's really clever.
1: Actually, I, does, I do think it says a steel hammer, but oh, does it? Uh, okay. Well, because when I read it, I was like, "God damn, he's killed someone." Uh, well, it just but, knocks them out, so it's but, okay. Uh, I, I thought you were going to talk about a different bit, which is my absolute favorite bit, which is when wakes in the jail cell at the sheriff station. Agent Nightingale reads about his own oh, death yeah, probably... immediately before it oh.
0: happens. So and he's it's a, such a good an FBI page. agent, isn't he? That comes to to investigate. The, I can't remember what he's come to investigate Is it the disappearance of Alan's wife? No, no So so he's not there under
1: orders He's uh. evasive with the sheriff The The idea that isn't Explicitly spelled out Is that he's partially oh, controlled By the dark presence but not taken It's very much like uh, oh, Damn it, what's the bully called In Stand By Me? Uh, oh fuck um, Played by Kiefer
0: Yeah, I can't remember so, what he's called He's the older brother, isn't he, of one of them?
1: Yeah, so he goes on in a later Stephen King-connected book to become sort of like, what would you call it? I think it's uh, Needful Things. He becomes sort of a familiar, not familiar. Like, I've forgotten the word, but basically he's sort of corrupted by the the evil presence and it's his sort of human failings that make him vulnerable kind of thing. There's the and bully it feels in like It Nightingales exactly like that. that as well, yeah. Ah, uh, yeah, nighting. actually, yeah, there is the guy in It who, like, I think he does a homophobic murder by throwing someone into a river or something. He does,
2: yeah. And then, uh, like, Stephen King, like, right at the end of the book, well, very near the end of the book, obviously has a lot of fun typing the N-word in the most ridiculous way possible, using this bully as a conduit. So that was good good times for, uh, for Stephen King in the mid-80s on cocaine there yeah
1: (laughs) but but yeah nightingale feels very much like one of those so he's not directly controlled but he is like something wrong with him like he's angry he's an alcoholic he's yeah thinking about killing wake but you can't really they never spell it out explicitly which is quite good uh but yeah, he's a nice sort of element because everyone else you meet is nice in a certain way like yeah uh the viking band brothers even though they hammer someone in the head, are quite endearing, and the person that they hammered was working for another sort of corrupted individual. Who's was
2: definitely not not Ratchet from uh, from Cookie's yeah. nest.
1: <laughs> so like, they're nice. Barry's nice. The sheriff's nice. It's like everyone you meet. Oh, the radio host is a great character because you hear him on the radio several times throughout the game, mm. and mm. then you meet him, and then he talks about your encounter in the next radio segment. And you're like, this guy's a good guy.
0: That's a funny thing. Like, I wonder if the the radio host, so the radio host is basically all the way through is reporting on weird things that have happened in the town. So he's a local radio host. And so like, say I think something happens earlier on in the game when, uh, there's a, an incident. And then I think he mentions it on the radio or he kind of goes like, so-and-so's this and that and it really reminds me of have you seen uh the the fog so in the fog um there's a local radio station and it kind of reports on things that are sort of happening throughout it and uh eventually becomes involved in it and it just really reminds me of of the way it is sort of presented in in Alan Wake and the way Alan Wake sort of references all these different horror things and all these different Bits. I wouldn't be surprised if, uh, you know, Sam Lake just picked it from the fog.
2: Oh yeah, oh, my God. He but, seems like that kind of guy. No, no yeah. in, like a denigratory way. I don't mean that, but like he just seems like the kind of guy who just will watch and read everything in that kind of vein, and he just he will just
0: take it in. He's the finish of Yokojima, isn't he? <sighs> More or less, yeah. Well,
1: there is an analog though to that in Max Payne. So in Max Payne, there's TV news reports. And they, they cover sort of your mm. crime spree and what's going on around in lots of context. So it's not dissimilar to that, but they've sort of put a human face on him. And mm. you meet him on the ferry as well, so you know who he is. Yeah. And then that carries forward the whole game. Um, I was gonna say, just because we're getting reasonably into the podcast, if we could talk about the ending a wee bit because it's yeah. quite an interesting one. It's not so cut and dry. Now, I played up to the end of, well, the middle of the second DLC episode, mm, yeah. uh, The Signal, sorry, The Writer. And as my co-hosts know, I jumped off a roof and got caught in a endless death animation where every time I hit continue, I died immediately. Nice. So I didn't finish The Signal, But I did sort of read up on it afterwards and I was like, right, okay, this is the story up to that point. Uh, And I know that there's more after that, but I suppose if we could just talk about Alan Wake in terms of... Should
0: we maybe uh, sum up the second half of the game a wee bit? Because I guess we only sort of described the premise. But are we talking the ending of of the DLC or the ending of the game?
1: I was going to say the game uh, initially. So in terms of... What happens? Um, we've talked about sort of Alan blacking out and then trying to find his wife, which is a bit of a wild goose chase. Uh, because as you find out later, she is literally in the lake, mm. trapped by this dark presence. So Alan escapes the mental hospital with the help of the sort of Viking rockers who create a distraction and goes to their farm where he finds a Record that they created that tells him that the log lady is the one who can help him, so he goes to meet her in a power plant, and she has been guarding a thing from Alan's childhood, strangely, the clicker, which is a a light switch that his mother gave him to help him when he was scared of the dark, and for some reason, the poet Thomas Zane had written this into reality to help Alan in the future, so Alan, obviously fighting through hordes of the taken and sort of poltergeist uh, darkness-possessed objects, fights his way to get the clicker and is able to take it to the cabin on the lake, which is rematerialized. Um, and then he finds the person the sort of host of the Dark Presence is Barbara Yeager, so Baba Yaga, uh, if that makes sense. And he uses <laughs> the clicker to sort of dispel uh, the darkness from her and then he's able to sort of take control of the story again and write his uh, wife back to safety but the cost of that is that he is now trapped in the darkness within the lake Mm. and the end of the the base game is a possessed alan saying it's not a lake it's a river which
2: it's an opens
1: up loads oh that's it river god's sake okay. we're not even cool. editing it I'm just going to tweet that I'm an idiot Uh so yeah it's not a lake it's an ocean and that opens up obviously everything to much wider interpretation and more things could happen in the future now who's got a good grip on the, the DLC and wants to talk about what happens after the ending of the game? See I don't <laughs> right. I'll keep going. I mean, I just thought people would want to break from my voice. So in the DLC, the first part is Alan within the darkness uh is in a he's still in the world, but it's a sort of nightmare world. Uh and it's all topsy turvy and he's sort of reliving his experiences. Uh so again, Thomas Zane is trying to find him and he's sending him a signal. So Alan follows that signal with the help of Barry who's a, now a figment of Alan's imagination and sort of makes comments of things that Barry expresses that actually are Alan's own thoughts even though they're quite critical of himself. So it's a sort of interesting dynamic where Barry, who's a sort of honest friend who wants his wants the best for him is now being quite critical but in a accurate way and Alan has to sort of Listen to his own self-criticism through Barry, Um, and then he follows the signal, but it turns out that he's been sinking deeper into the darkness, and he's only now starting to reassert himself. And so it doesn't really do much in terms of the story. You sort of get more to grips with what's going on, and then in the second DLC episode, the writer, Alan, has to fight against his own irrational self who is babbling like a madman about everything that's going to go wrong but when he does this this comes into play so if he says the enemies were everywhere alan couldn't escape and then the enemies come out and ask to fight his way through them so alan sort of makes his way through again a sort of jumbled up world it's got a floating house in the middle of the mountains above the lake and that's where i fell off and got stuck in that fucking death save and then beyond that he's able to reach the cabin and a bit like evil kirk and good kirk he he reunites the two halves of himself to become a whole person and then takes control of the writing process and begins to write the return now my understanding is that the book the return becomes the events of Alan Wake American Nightmare which I have not played so I'm not super up on but we talked about maybe doing a bonus episode, maybe a stream mm. it's coming out on Game Pass in like six days so I'm definitely going to play it. Don't know about you guys what do you think?
0: Well I I played American Nightmare immediately following my replay of Alan Wake before mm. Um, I won't go into it because I think it would be interesting to talk about. It's very different um from Alan Wake. In Alan Wake, uh there is um there are some live action sequences that you can see on televisions throughout Bright Falls and they're a sort of Twilight Zone homage. So it's called Night Springs. And it, in in Night Springs, I think they're just sort of shorts filmed by Remedy staff, maybe. Yeah,
1: I'm not hundred yeah. percent
0: sure how they, how they produce them, but they're very uh, Tongue in cheek, uh, sort of not not very you know not highly produced, but they're funny and they're they're nice to watch and uh, so it's basically each TV show is an episode of Night Springs and American Nightmare is kind of framed as an episode of of Night Springs. Oh, cool! Um, and it has a very instead of it being sort of horror. Or Stephen King sort of uh, inspired. It it's very sort of nineteen f- fifties. There's a lot of sort of sci-fi elements. You know, sort of B movie sci-fi elements from maybe fifties sci-fi movies or stuff like mm-hmm. Twilight Zone and stuff like that, which makes it sort of. On the one hand, it's quite jarring in the way that it is different from Alan Wake. But on the other hand, it 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 is kind of fun. I don't know. I've I've got a lot of Feelings about American Nightmares that would be interesting to discuss on a, you know, a, a more specific yeah, American Nightmare episode.
1: Well, see, I feel a bit bad about it because I sort of wrote it off without giving it any thought when it came out. Because I was like, what's this? It's not Alan Wake 2. And now I've sort of understood that within... The Context of the story, this is in fact what Alan has written. I was like, Oh, so it's canon and it's the continuation. So now I'm very interested in playing it. So fortunately, I'll probably play it next week, to be honest.
0: Yeah, it's very short. I think four hours. Cool. At most.
1: I feel like this uh, isn't a very important detail, but Barry mentions in the game that Alan's first writing gig was writing an episode of Night Springs. Just meant
0: to mention that, um, yeah, yeah, so he did.
1: And then the episode that comes on isn't one that Alan wrote, so Barry's like, "Oh, it wasn't one of yours."
0: Alan Wake has a lot of like incidental sort of connections like that, you know. Um, it's just all so well sort of f- fleshed out and thought out. Um, it feels very cohesive overall. Yeah, long- There's even connections in Alan Wake uh, to Control, which came out much later. Um, so, I don't know if you know, but do you know when... So, at one point, there's a flashback to Alan's apartment in New York or Manhattan or somewhere like that. I can't remember where they're from. Yeah. But if you look out the window, and there's a storm on, but if you look out the window, you can see the oldest house from Control.
1: Ah.
0: Uh, oh, really? Cool. Um, Which, you know, is... Uh, features heavily in, in Control. It's a big part of that game. Um. And then, obviously, later on, there was DLC for Control, which is the Alan Wake experience, or whatever it's called. I haven't played it yet, but maybe it would be interesting to do an American Nightmare Alan Wake experience.
2: Yeah. From what I understand, the, the Control DLC is extremely plot-heavy for Alan Wake, but I've no context for what any of the plot is, so it might be interesting to get it played at some point, as well as American Nightmare. I would
1: need uh, to get myself some Adderall to actually... Play control and not oh, yeah, just go, oh, I could be playing something else. Yeah. Which is such a shame because I love Remedy. It's technically an impressive game. It's got ray tracing and I own it, but it's just, oh,
2: can't be bothered. It's Alex yeah. Vitalia's favourite game that's not called Crisis.
0: <laughs> I feel like um, there was so much about this game to talk about that, and I don't know, one of the things that, that uh, is interesting about this game is for a long time it, it wasn't really available. Um, yeah. So, at in as we've said already, it's an episodic game. Although it isn't episodic in a way that you might be familiar with in that they release it episode by episode, sort of Telltale or Half-Life or, you know, something where you get a piece and then you buy the next piece and that comes out. This came out as one package so it's, it's like a box set almost um but it is framed as a television series mm. it's more of a framing device than an actual release format um but each credit sequence had licensed music over it and so um for a long time i think there was an issue with that where either they'd removed it or it, it wasn't available or you know um now it's all available i don't know did uh, the remaster have all the licensed music in it. It's present. From
2: what I understand, um, it does. Um, and the the issue that happened was Microsoft owned the rights to Alan Wake for a very long time, um, and they didn't want to pay the licensing rights for the music, so they they removed it from like online stores and stuff like that. So the only way you could play it was physically. As you say, it was re- quite hard to get. Um, I think it was twenty nineteen. Remedy reacquired the rights to Alan Wake in its entirety from Microsoft and they are now paying the royalty fees for all the licensed music so that's why they've released remastered so that people could play on modern systems with all the music intact and everything
1: I mean the music is great especially is cool. chapter one when In Dreams started playing mm-hmm. I mean speaking of David Lynch references you've got that from Blue Velvet and I was just sat there it was like I had a skip prompt and I was like are you high? (laughs) I'm going to listen to this whole thing, turn the headphones up.
0: I think at one point they have a David Bowie.
1: That's what I was going to say. So Carly was there when I rolled credits and Bowie started playing. She was like, is this David Bowie? I was like, yeah. Yeah. Uh,
0: A wee bit of a spoiler for American Nightmare, but it features the song, uh, or I can't remember what the song's called, but it's Kasabian quite heavily. And uh, Hmm. I found that to be a bit great in an American Nightmare because I'm not a big fan of Kasabian. But um, yeah. they do bring back sort of licensed music in, in that as well.
1: I don't know about Kasabian because like Dave's PlayStation <laughs> uncle, um a Gen Xer. So <laughs> here's
2: uh, here's an interesting question that um I was thinking well yeah, it is a question, I guess. I was thinking about whilst playing this game. And I don't know if you'll agree, but I'll pose it anyway. Do you feel like this is it's not an American version of Silent Hill? but it's, like, the other side of the coin for Silent Hill. Like, it's like it's all the same kind of influences, and this is kind of, like, what the output is. Like, obviously, Silent Hill was influenced by Twin Peaks to a degree, Stephen King uh, books, uh, Jacob's Ladder, all that kind of thing. And this kind of works on the same influences. It's not the same kind of game, but you can feel all the same stuff, and it's kind of, like, an alternate reality version of Silent Hill. I don't, I don't know how to explain it, but, like, I, I couldn't stop thinking about it. When I was playing the game, um, it's and again like we've, we've both both of you have mentioned it when we were speaking an episode earlier. It's a game that sticks with you, and many of that early Silent Hill games, which are in the same kind of vein, stick with you as well. For like they're, they're obviously kind of have the, their their own wee issues and it's that that kind of thing. But um, there's something about them that is very sort of um, endearing and. You can tell they've been written well, like heart, um, and put, First thing put together very well.
0: I would say about it being an American version of Silent Hill would be that it's developed by Remedy, who are Finnish. So, oh yeah,
2: of course, Western, perhaps I should say.
0: Yeah,
1: um, <laughs> well, I was going to say it's like a European vision of America, in the same way that Silent Hills a Japanese. Yeah,
0: yeah, song. Yeah, yeah. It's America, but filtered through the eyes of somebody who's consumed America through, um pop culture and media. Oh no, David Cage. It, it, oh no. With the French plugs in heavy rain. No, we love Sam Lake. We don't like David Cage.
1: Well, that's and true Nash. and we should we should tweet that from the official account. Uh yeah. but no, I I agree with Dave because I had a also similar tweet,
2: thought. Like American.
1: <laughs> well, I don't agree about that, but um no. I was thinking to myself, it's good to get this sort of European horror version of America that isn't trying to be silent hill because if it had done that even an iota it would have been terrible but yeah. by being its own thing it was a sort of unique take and there's something about it where it's like i don't want to say mild but like the horror isn't particularly horrific if you know what i mean it's more well, the overall it's not like none of the individual things that happened to alan are shocking, like there's no, no kitchen moment, you know.
0: No. And it's it's never particularly scary. No. I think Dave hit it um on the head earlier when he described it as a more of a cosmic horror. Yeah. It's that sort of like and it is in the way that I don't know if you've ever felt this, but Stephen King books can sometimes be quite comforting. Yeah. Definitely. There is like a really yeah, sure. comforting uh sort of um the, the way he writes these sort of small towns and stuff it can be in a way where I feel like this is a comforting thing. And and then the horror is a bit more sort of, there are scary bits, obviously, and things that are not very nice that happen. And it's the same in Alan Wake, but the horror tends to be a bit more uh, underlying or, or something a bit more um, like maybe, I don't know uh, beyond human comprehension. It's... Yeah. Or, or just sort of like a, an undercurrent of evil in in terms of something like needful things where it all sort of simmers beneath the surface for a while and then it comes to a head and it's because the uh the shopkeeper is 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 manipulating people into doing things to destabilize a small town and and it's just that sort of that sort of way where it isn't like um something a bit more uh Aimed at just making you jump or get scared. I would say something like something like what Dead Space tried to be. Where Dead Space was trying to be scary, although it wasn't, and I think we all decided that it wasn't particularly scary. But you know where the the fear in Dead Space was supposed to come from? Oh things jumping out at you or, yeah. or gruesome things. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas the there isn't really a fear in Alan Wake so much as a an unease or an unknowing. Yeah. And also, I was going to say the
1: stakes are quite personal for for Alan because obviously it's his wife. But then I had to correct myself and say, if Alan fails and the Dark Presence controls him, it can do whatever it wants to the entire world. So everyone that's taken is going to die um, and all that kind of thing. So the implications are quite dark. But you don't feel it when you're playing. You sort of feel more like it's a sort of, journey of determination so Alan is the heroic protagonist and he is going to see it through like I feel I wouldn't say that I'd want them to sort of change that it's almost gentle I want to say because you could make a game about being possessed by an evil presence that was significantly more disturbing and unpleasant but I wouldn't want them to Uh, it's quite palatable
0: one of the things I really enjoy about this game is obviously because the darkness draws its power from the dark. There are. This game takes place over a few days or I think a couple of weeks. So um, it's not nighttime forever. Daytime comes around and during the day, you're in relative safety. So it gives a time, a moment for the story to sort of. Uh, for like the tension to break or for the mm-hmm. danger to sort of um fade for a moment and and that's when you get more more of the sort of character based interactions and bits like um you know slower moments like when you're walking around the mental hospital and and the the psychiatrist is sort of explaining his treatment or when you visit um the woman from the diner and then it sort of allows it to sort of maybe pepper in some bits that are a bit unsettling but aren't necessarily dangerous situations and that sort of really gives it this sort of ebb and flow, and it's funny because I think there are other games that have sort of tried similar things. Um, to a fault. So to go on a tangent for a wee bit, Silent Hill: Shattered Memories, which I I think we would all agree is a deeply flawed game. Um, but I, I wouldn't. <laughs> no, you love it, right? I've never played it. Oh, okay. Um, so, but in that game, there is a. In Silent Hill, basically, you know how it goes from the other world to the the regular world, or not even the regular world, but, you know, the, the sort of default Silent Hill world. But you can get attacked by monsters in either. There's things around. Mm-hmm. But in Shattered Memories, unless you're in the other world, nothing is there to attack you. And I think it's meant to give the player... It's, it's to change the sort of pacing a wee bit. But all it does is mean that you just know exactly when you're going to get attacked um whereas in this it feels a bit more like it heightens your fear of the darkness because you associate it gives you a time to sort of be in the light and associate that with feeling safe and then when you're in the town during the day and you maybe go into you go into the uh the caravan where the woman lives the trailer and it's dim and dark in there and she's obviously being affected or influenced by the darkness and there's something wrong with her and it really sort of gives you a time to sort of uh to to feel those differences and it's a nice sort of uh contrast rather than it being like oh okay it's daytime now i don't need to worry about anything the tension's gone or whatever it, yeah. you, you do but it's it, that's not the purpose it's serving it's it's done really well i don't know if you know what i mean
1: Yeah, actually I do, and also I was going to mention that exact encounter, so because you're safe during the day, there's a tension about what Alan's going to do with his day and how he's going to prepare for the night and when he goes to meet Rose in her trailer, she's acting strangely, but, and this is kind of karmic because Alan doesn't care about Rose, Mm. even though she's a huge fan of his and has a standee, he doesn't like offer to sign her book or whatever, he's very much in his own head and even before his wife goes missing he's quite dismissive of her but if he'd taken the time to care about rose even just in terms of oh hi rose you're a fan he would have went you're acting really weird but Mm. because he's just like i'm on a mission where's my wife he just she's talking in a very strange speech pattern and the player knows immediately something's wrong with her even without any sort of smoky black element surrounding her you just know something's wrong. And that tension of oh, Alan's gonna lose the day, and and she does drug him and Barry, to cause him to sleep, to cause him to lose, the safety of the daytime, and then, it puts you into, the night. So it's a great, it's a great tension and balance between the two.
0: Yeah. Um.
2: What do you think about um the the ending of the game? Where you see Rose with a lamp, and uh, the ag- ah, the agent yeah. is in uh, there. Is in the boarded-up house behind her. What, what, what did you read into that?
1: I mean, I suppose Rose has become the new lamp lady,
2: but she's been touched by the darkness. She was working in aid of the darks, so was she not? What does that mean? So,
1: so was the lamp lady. She said it herself. So it's because oh, yeah, you've been touched by the darkness and recovered that you have the power to see the light and to see the sort of hidden messages. Oh, which yeah, of We also didn't talk about which is quite a clever use of the torch mechanic. You get yeah. uh, light-sensitive yellow paint that shows you where caches are so you can go oh, yeah. and in, in, true, <laughs> in true Silent Hill fashion you go, that looks like the right way to go I'm going this way, 90 degrees to the left, and you would run off find a little yellow arrow and go, yes I found it, and then grab loads of flares and uh, loads of magnum bullets oh, right, I, I don't want to nitpick the combat but on normal mode I didn't use batteries, I just went beam, beam, beam and I had twenty batteries for the whole game. Apart from when I just got impatient and I slammed summon, three at once. I used
2: some in hard mode, but no, you hard
1: know. mode, you'd have to I assume. But
2: uh, it's just just need to know like how to manage enemies better. Um, like if you pick the best weapons for the best situations, you're generally fine. Um, the, the in hard mode, I just end up spamming uh, flashbangs, flares, and the hunting rifle. And I was, fi- I mean, I died, but like I still completed the game in a couple of days. So. Not that bad. But
1: yeah, I mean, I I just found I didn't need to use batteries. Like I always had a full twenty. Yeah. So ammo, it would definitely ebb and flow. You'd have forty two magnum bullets or whatever, and then you'd have eight, and you'd have to switch to the shotgun or whatever. But I never had trouble with the torch. It was always like loads.
2: In that case, then, um, what about the FBI agent? What's what's his um deal? Why is he still there? I thought he was. Taken away by the darkness. Is he you now an agent? Oh, of the darkness.
1: right. So, and this is me putting forth my Alan Wake theory. But I mean, I'm oh, sure I'm really Liam, though. Liam, you can contradict me if I'm talking shite. But hmm. when Alan rewrites the book, saves his wife, he fixes everything. So he saved everyone, and he's rewritten all the events that happened. So Carl Stucky's alive and fine the park ranger is fine and they sort of show you that life has gone completely back to normal in bright falls the only problem is alan himself being stuck in the darkness and it does mention that mr scratch has got into the world but but that's more for american nightmare
0: yeah we haven't really touched on mr scratch at all like I think it's right at the end of the game that he comes into it, isn't it?
2: Yeah, he's. He, so, they, they mention him and that's it.
0: <laughs> yeah, Alan Wake is now trapped in, I think they call it the Dark Place. Yeah. Which I don't want to use because it just conjures up <laughs> Garth Richard Iowadi and...
2: Uh, I know, right? i you have subtext and they all cowards.
0: You'll have my guts for Garters. Call cool, it Sanchez, you'll be getting a knuckle supper. The, um... But as as Alan is trapped in the dark place, he sees his a, a doppelganger, and it's 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 so f- like it's funny, but I love it. Um, he's Mr. got a massive face grin just, his face. It's quality. Yeah, he's just a dick, Alan Wake. Who and they're like, while you're stuck here, Mr. Scratch is going to take your place and just fuck shit up, basically. And, he's gonna and smash his
2: head. He's he's going to start smashing his head against a window, going, "How's Annie?" That's what's going to happen.
0: Um, but there's so much in this game it's wild I think like at the risk of just jumping about and picking out bits that that we like or that we're interested in I want to just talk about Barry (laughs) yes please so um, Barry Wheeler Alan's uh, agent Agent. Um, so I mean at first you think he's going to be this obnoxious Loud. He's basically your your typical loud American, as viewed through uh, a European sort of point of view. You know mm-hmm. what what do we think of? You know what does a European think of a typical annoying American? He's got like Hawaiian shirts, and he's just a bit, uh, you know, obnoxious and and loud. And you go alright, oh, He's he's annoying, but. Um, And he's he's going to be all about like, oh no, you've got to write the book, Alan, and I've got to make my money and stuff like that. But then he turns out to be just like the most loyal friend. And and, and he's sort of, the way he sort of is, is designed as a character, you know, he gives off a feeling of like, maybe he'd be a coward or something like that. You yeah, know, The typical stereotype yeah. of that sort of character would be, he's going to be the cowardly one who gets you know, everyone killed or, you know, something goes wrong, but he, he turns in, you know, he sort of steps up to the plate and becomes I mean, he well, is cowardly in a way. He's scared. You know,
2: you know who's like he's like the book version of Donald Gennaro in Jurassic I was Park. thinking that. Yeah, because
0: he's <laughs> sort of and it, it, his sort of inner uh, dialogue in that is that he's fucking shitting himself and would rather be anywhere else. Yeah. But he steps up to it and does it anyway, because Barry isn't unafraid. He is afraid. But he's he's brave in a way that he just you know finds it in himself to do that and Mm -hmm. and he's only really here because alan is here like that's his whole reason for being there is to be there to help alan
1: yeah he doesn't actually need to be there
0: no so he's he's completely like i mean there is the sort of self-interest of alan is my you know big earner but at the same time you know the things he's also like, yeah, yeah.
1: Even then, he could have insurance on him, but it's his best friend, so that's the only reason he's really there.
0: Yeah, and like, I just love it—the the transformation from, uh, because the as soon as he shows up, basically, he's he's like he was like, w- "What's the issue here? I can fix everything." and You know, are the locals giving you trouble? Do you want you know this or that? Or I'm I'm and then he just sort of keeps that up, but he turns into like the darkness Rambo almost because he's running around Bright Falls with. Christmas lights wrapped around him, almost like a a bandolier or whatever you call it, of bullets. It's a um, bit like a sort
1: of Billy Rosewood moment from yeah. Beverly Hills Cop where he just sort of goes full ramble.
0: Yeah, and he's just probably one of my favourite characters in it. You know.
1: Oh, he's great. He He's honestly great. I, I love him. I thought he was amazing the first time, and this time around I was like, he's just the best.
0: I just really like the idea of like, I don't know, carrying light with you in that way Um, but it's also like it's humorous but it is also sort of something that you might imagine somebody trying to do to protect themselves or something. But that's it because he is scared so he wants as much light around him as possible because he is a bit of a you know, Alan never really shows much fear
1: I suppose because Alan needs to save Alice so he's he's willing to risk his life whereas Barry wants to save Alan and Alan still get going into more and more danger. So yeah, it's a nice contrast because he is sort of more realistic and more down to earth, I guess, in a way. And Alan's sort of more in his head and thinking about his story and that sort of thing. Mm. And he's a good sort of foil to Alan, who's all serious, a bit po-faced all the Mm. time. Like Alan doesn't.
0: Really make jokes or in that does he? He's quite serious. And then I guess Barry also provides an outside verification of the things that are going on. Ah, uh, because
1: he questions Alan's sanity at first, and mm-hmm. then yeah. he sees the darkness and he's like, "Oh, you're not crazy. Everything's crazy."
0: Yeah. So it, he he sort of confirms it, you know, as a yeah. almost an impartial observer to to a point, which I think is a just a good way of sort of. I mean, they do, they they bring up the sort of, I mean, it is a bit funny that they bring up the whole idea of like, maybe Alan's mad. And for a moment, you're like, is this true or is this not true? And then very quickly, the game is like, it's not true. (laughs) He is seeing all this and it is real. And you're like, ah, okay. (laughs)
1: Which is but, good because um, it'd be deeply unsatisfying if Alan was just having a psychotic break after killing his wife.
0: it just doused it at the end, yeah, and then to be also like another one of those sort of pieces of fiction that's like, oh, it's up to you, you know, like not that that's necessarily always bad, yeah. but I feel like in in this situation, it's much more interesting that something is there and is happening. Um, I don't feel like Alan Wake has. I mean, I haven't played Alan Wake Experience or anything. But for me, the one thing is I don't feel like Alan Wake has ever been satisfyingly wrapped up. No. Um, I've always kind of wanted a wee bit more.
1: Yeah, it's, it's left that way, I think, very intentionally.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, I There is one thing that I will say for a sequel. Um, I am desperate for it to have uh, HDR and ray tracing because if any game needed proper HDR and like decent like path traced lighting, it's Alan Wake cause See I don't know that... if I
0: necessarily agree because I feel like the lighting in Alan Wake is so intentionally placed mm-hmm. that it doesn't need an extra layer of information to, to
2: depict <laughs> Oh sorry it. I always been in the sequel rather than this game like um... Because th- this game is obviously like uh, uh, you're, you're absolutely right. It's so in, like specifically engineered for like lights should be exactly where they are and they should act exactly need yeah. to for the game to work properly. So yeah, you're absolutely right in that. But like for a sequel, I'd be well up for that.
0: Possibly it depends how they use it because I feel like the thing about ray tracing, uh, ray traced light and stuff, and the way it would sort of it depends how much they sort of focus the the art direction of it. Mm-hmm because I feel like, yeah, possibly. It uh, could
1: make for interesting gameplay if, if light behaved naturally and you had like gaps in uh, a structure that let through light, but that was the only safe yeah. place kind of thing. Yeah. But I I don't feel it will get a meaningful sequel.
0: Do you? It's gonna, you don't feel like it would get one or it would be? No, I just it. don't think it's likely. Uh, maybe there's rumors about it because there's the whole thing with um, Remedy and Epic have a deal where they're going to develop a new game. I mean for, I'd, I'd be up for it definitely.
1: I think and, it's and they had
0: said they've said in the past that they they wanted to do Alan Wake 2. And Sam Lake has talked about it. Uh and in fact I think he spoke about it at the uh when Alan Wake's um anniversary came up about how it's something that they want to do and uh but they've never really had the sort of uh financial backing or or publishers or anything um but you know I'd, it really would depend how 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 they would bring to um and also yeah it's hard to say without having played whatever's in control
1: yeah i think we we should probably try and do a, a sequel to this episode where we have played american nightmare and maybe played uh
0: the, the DLC altered v- world show. event
1: expansion, no. not the Alan Wake expansion.
0: Clearly, they are developing an Alan Wake TV show at the moment. Yeah, I heard
2: about that. It's interesting. I think that would work quite well. Yeah, um, and it's
0: it's supposed to be using plans that they had from uh, any you know development of a sequel. Uh, so, because they did start developing Alan Wake too, I think, and it became something else, Quantum Break.
2: Maybe. Because that has the TV show to go along with it, so that would make sense, actually.
1: And it has CIA in it as the bad guy. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. It's funny because Max Payne had a perfect ending and then got two sequels. And Mm. Alan Wake had a sort of, what would you call it, mysterious uh, open-ended ending and got, well, the recent DLC that we haven't played.
2: No, we don't talk about Max Payne 3, though.
1: I haven't no. actually played it, but Max Payne One is
0: the best. But uh, I guess shall we wrap up? Do yeah,
1: because I'll talk about Max Payne more if we don't stop me. Yeah. <laughs> so, sure. uh, um, tell you what, if we're going to do final thoughts, maybe I'll let Dave go first because he was the the flawed gem, and then Liam, you can contradict him.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's, that seems fair to me. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm I'm, I'm sticking up my guns. I think this game has its issues it does um for like for better or worse just because of how it was developed and like they obviously had to shift the uh the style of game that it was from one to another apparently they did it in two months um during development which like all, all commendations to them that is a, a huge undertaking and the game is still good that's at the end of the day it's like got a, a really engaging combat system um some really satisfying gunplay, was like one of the most sort of fascinating and interesting stories I've played in the game for a wee while, um, and it's it'll definitely stick for me more than like a lot of games from that era. And I'm I'm actually kind of annoyed that I'd lost interest in it back when I initially had interest in the mid two thousands. Between well, up to then and when it eventually came out, I'm actually kind of pissed off at myself that I never played it. Um I think I was probably busy playing Kingdom Hearts too. Um oh well. But yeah, um really, really engaging game and I, I, like as far as I'm concerned, one of the um one of the one of the sort of outstanding examples of like there's a lot of things that I could say that, oh I didn't like this about game, I didn't like that about the game. Um but I would still say, Oh absolutely, go and play Alan Wake. It's great. It's it's so much fun. Um, in so many different ways and it made me feel like I was reading The Green Mile again and The Green Mile is my favourite book of all time and if anything can make me feel like I'm reading The Green Mile then hats off to that.
1: Well I'll go next and rather than a final thought I just remembered something that I forgot so back in 2012 I put on Alan Wake The first line was Stephen King once wrote, and I jumped at my chair and went, "Yes, this game's (laughs) going to be amazing." And although I've maybe lost that feeling a wee bit uh, over those ten years, I really did enjoy my my replay of Alan Wake. I feel like Mm -hmm. it holds up pretty well, given the sort of the time. um, Like the third person controls are good, the torch and gun gameplay is still quite innovative and enjoyable and I do enjoy the story I enjoy Sam Lake's writing um, and the characters as I said, so overall enjoyed it quite a lot if you've never played it then you've probably got too far in the podcast to play it unspoiled, so sorry about that, Uh, but maybe pick it up it's not particularly expensive for the remaster, so Yeah, go ahead and grab it. If you want us to do another Alan Wake episode, you could always tweet us at at rpdpodcast on Twitter to let us know you're interested Uh, and I'll, I'll leave it to the Alan Wake appreciator Liam to take us home.
0: Thank you. I think like one of the things about Alan Wake for me is that there's always this sort of weird thing about narrative and story in video games that I've never quite uh been able to to really work out what my feelings are on it because I, the story in Alan Wake feels quite separate from the gameplay, you know, you can't mm-hmm. affect the story, you just play through the story um, and also for me I think a lot of story in games is in there because you have to have a justification for what you're doing it, it's weird, it's like are you setting out to tell a story or are you setting out to make a game and one of the things for me that makes, uh, when a when a story feels really believable to the point where it doesn't feel like fiction, it feels like a, an account of something. Do you know what I mean? Like this is an account of something that actually happened. Before. Yeah. Um, and to me, Alan Wake sort of hits that where I feel like everything about it just sort of feels, uh cohesive in the way that I'm like this feels like an account of something that actually happened or you know it's just one of them you know I think it's just one of the great like it's a great story and the way it sort of builds the world and builds the lore without being exhausting lore in games can be really tiring sometimes and thinking of like Skyrim or something where you're pouring over in game books to try and you know
1: Lusty Argonian
0: made mm, or um
2: some like FF F- fifteen where like the lore is all over the place in different types of media and stuff like that.
0: Yeah. Um, whereas this feels almost effortless. It's like it's like oh, it, it, the lore all makes sense. Not because they've managed to, and it, it it does give like an illusion of of a deeper sort of world or a deeper sort of thing going on. It doesn't explicitly explain everything outright, but. Mm-hmm it all feels like it lines up properly in a way that makes you feel like, Oh, it lines up because these bits of information uh, hint at something that actually is there. Um, I don't know. Alan Wake for me is just, I don't, I'll admit like I was maybe like I was 19 when it came out. So I was a lot younger and uh, it just had a big influence on me at the time. So, I'm very nostalgic for it, but at the same time, I think it really holds up in a way that some games from the time didn't. Dead Space was an interesting one to go back to it and find out that actually I didn't like it as much as I thought. You know, It was good, but it was also a frustrating experience and I was glad to be done with it. Whereas when I finished Alan Wake before, I liked it so much that I immediately went into American Nightmare and I wanted more of it, you know. Uh, so that's kind of where I'm at with it.
2: Yeah, I think it's probably safe to say that we'd all we'd all say that this was a, well, Alan Wake is a much better game of the time than Dead Space was. I mean, I, I yeah. certainly would. But
1: Dead Space fans are going to hate us, but you've always got Dead Space. Like.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Dead Space 3 with its microtransactions. How they like them apples? Yeah.
1: Alright, uh, well, I guess we should wrap up on that positive note then.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. I, there's a couple of I guess just end of podcast things to to say. Um, if you don't follow us on Twitter, Johnny's already dropped the the Twitter handle. If you uh, to use Facebook, we're on Facebook. Um, you can get us now on Spotify and iTunes. Um, so if if you use either of them, you know, keep using them. Uh, if you're in Lafayette. In America, is a town. Uh, reach out to us on Twitter and let us know, because apparently, out of all the cities in the world, Lafayette has listened to us the most. Uh, what? Which is an, an odd one. I was—you'd mm-hmm. expect it to be Glasgow or Edinburgh, but no. Uh, Glasgow and Edinburgh are two and three. Lafayette at the top, most listens. So, uh, hello to whoever in Lafayette has oh. has stumbled across this. It's uh, nice to know. Disappointed that it's
2: not Derry, Maine. Not <laughs> we take what we can get.
0: Yeah, Maybe we'll need to cover uh, I don't know where Lafayette is, I'm sorry. Some game near there. But uh, yeah, I'm, I was really excited to talk about Alan Waite this week. And I guess we'll all be back very soon with another episode.
1: Yeah, yeah. Looking forward to it. And uh, also, maybe a wee... Halloween stream if uh, the trains let me pop over.
0: Mm. Yeah. Play something spooky. So I guess it's uh, that'll be goodbye for now.
1: Bye bye. Catch you all later.